Hey everyone, welcome to Anything But Typical Podcast Episode 3. Are we four? Three, three with a guest. Yeah, three all right. Three point five. There you go. Yeah, the intro was about fifteen minutes long, so we'll say this is episode three. <laughs> all right, great. Well, we like doing everything a little bit different anyway, and so uh, we're going to have David Privetera today, and you're going to hear a lot more about his amazing story. And Ben and I will be going back and forth, but rather than start with all the accolades up front and here's who we have i'm going to ask david this question so david you're at an event and you are within earshot of one of your most admired competitors or a mentor or even a um a peer and they are talking about you they are not aware that they're talking that you're within earshot so uh, what is it that you would love to have them say about you well that's a great and thoughtful question um i'm gonna answer it in two parts i guess as as an individual i would I would hope that i'd hear something like david is a is a fun clever compassionate person um extremely approachable mm. and um he's really willing to kind of help you however he can mm. um as a company um i would hope they would say we are a, a a safe, well-organized group of professionals that are um, are somewhat courageous in what we do and how we do things in the industry. I love it. Yeah, you know that uh, very much is in keeping with the first impression that I had when I overheard you on a panel, and then in subsequent times that we've gotten together, it's been very you've been very approachable, very um, unassuming, even though you're very accomplished. And I know that Ben can launch into a little bit more of those accomplishments here. Yeah, yeah. So the guest today, David Privetera, he's been with Concord Construction for almost 15 years. Right? You've been the managing partner that was in 2005. Correct. Then president in 2011 and CEO in 2016. So we're going to jump into that evolution here in a minute. Um, David's also been a, a leader and manager in the industry for, I think, a little over 30 years at this point. This not, is my not thir- the age it's my 30th year, okay. but, All right. but I started when I was 12. Yeah. So. Right, perfect. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Charlotte Business Journal in 2008 also named him one of the 40 under 40. And one of the things that we're going to dive into a lot later on is the, uh, the ROC Charlotte. You are on the board of directors. And ROC stands for Rebuilding Opportunities in Construction. So I know that that's important to you, and I want to make sure that we're we're diving into exactly what it is, what you're doing with it, things like that. So awesome. I appreciate you uh, you joining us today. So David, let's start with your journey because I want us to get up to Concord so we can really start talking about business planning and and future vision looking and things like that. But in order to do that, we've got to get there first, right? So. Take us through a little bit your journey from college to the relocation to Charlotte. Okay. Uh, graduated from college. It'll be 30 years this May. And I have a degree in architecture and planning. And it was interesting. During my senior year of, of college, I realized, even though I was thought I wanted to be an architect, that I really didn't like architecture. <laughs> um, part of it was, was two parts. Number one, I was, I was not a good designer. And if you're going to be a design professional, I think it's an important it's skill to little, have. a little bit important. A little bit, right? The second part of that was I really, at the time, understood what it took from a, 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 a continuing education and, and the testing and whatnot to become your own licensed registered architect. And it just, I was burned out and had no desire. So, but I graduated and um, wasn't sure what I was going to do next. So um, talking to my father, and my father's one of those guys that can, can kind of cut right through it. Um, he's like, well, um, you're going to do something. <laughs> and you need to go find a job. But I'm like, what, the, what great advice. So believe it or not, I actually I found my first job, my first uh, job in my career, if you will, through a, a written advertisement in the Buffalo News. So mm. believe it or not, showing, mm-hmm. you know, showing my age again, there were av- actually advertisements in, in, in the printed newspaper. Impressive it, that you were looking through the new newspaper after you graduated college when you were 12 years old. So Well, well there you go. Well, uh, my father, I had moved back in with my father, and he was placing <laughs> it on the table every day with the one that's open. Go. So it kind of made it, it, made it easy. But uh, in all seriousness, it was for, uh, you know, my first job was uh, in the construction field, and it was for a, uh, a small union shop in Niagara Falls, New York, and it yep. was for a junior estimator role. Didn't even know what that meant. 
but went for the interview and ended up getting the job. And, um, and the first three years of my career, this is an old school. I mean, my first task on my first day was to unpackage their first fax machine. So <laughs> I, I was the technology wizard from day one. Yep. And, but it was very old school. Everything was manual. The, the, the takeoffs, the, the payroll, everything that did the field was done in a very old school way. But it was a great way to learn. Mm-hmm. A lot of hands-on exposure. So that really kind of set the, path, set the path for me that, oh, yeah, I think I can do this. I like it. Uh, I wasn't thinking about where it could take me. So but after about three years of that, um, I realized that I wanted to learn other aspects. So left that and went to work for a uh, heavy highway DOT contractor to learn that side of the business, the site work, mm. the utilities, and all those things. Did that for a couple of years, got an, a basis for that, but didn't necessarily like it. So then I said, let me try something different. Mm-hmm. Went to work for a commercial real estate developer as an internal construction manager mm. and got to see the business from that side of the table and that side of the ledger and understand, okay, this, and it was, I was beginning to kind of get a three-dimensional feel of, of what the industry really was. So. Let me interject. Sure. I've got a question. Just in that short period, you said tried something, things about it you didn't like, tried something else, but each time you tried something different, it was still related to the construction industry. Correct. So what kept you in the industry if you were finding things with those first couple jobs that, that you didn't like or you were looking for something else? You know, one thing about what what I do for a living, and again, me and several others, it's, it's, it's never about one person, but it's a tangible uh, result. You get to see it. We create space. We're yeah. sitting in a space, mm-hmm. and a lot of great people were involved in the creation of this space. So um, I do come from a family with some, some bankers and, 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 and computer people, um, very transactional and kind of, um, uh, you don't see the tangible. Yeah, I guess you mm-hmm. can look at a spreadsheet and there's my day. But right, yeah. for me, it was it was really about creating something that... Interesting. Yeah, I mean, ask my children, that's crazy. I, every day, yeah, I know, Dad, we built that, you built that, mm-hmm. I know. But, but it, that, that kind of jazzed me. And really, I mean, every day was in the learning experience. And I could truly say, 30 years later, um, I'm still learning. And that's a cool aspect because whether it's a technology or a, or a method or, or whatever, um, the learning curve is, is never ending. It does, does level off a little bit, but right, it's, right, it's, right. It, that jazzes me is, is having the opportunity to, 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 to learn something new yeah. um, that no, I didn't perfect. know yesterday. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so no, we can, we can keep going into okay. that. I just I was already seeing a theme going on, yeah. and it was just interesting that you would still find something to connect to that industry. Yeah. What you're doing 30 years later. Well, so really, so once I got through kind of like those different aspects of it, I realized that I I belonged and had the most fun when I was in the the commercial building world. So I went back to that and ended up going to work for, um, you know, the largest, again, up in Western New York. It's a a union area, at least it was 30 years ago. But I went to work for the largest merit shop or non-union company in the area. And again, in a different role and uh, got to see it from a different perspective. But really, they were family-owned business. Um, mm-hmm. I caught them at their at their power sweep, if you will, as they were going through a major growth mm-hmm. uh, period in their evolution. And uh, I rode the wave and did really, really well with them. And, and so much where they grew and opened up other offices and opened up an office in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. What year was that? Um, I went to work for them in 1997, and they opened up the office in 1998, and then I really relocated here in 1999. Great. So, but but here's where it gets kind of fun or interesting. So I um, I went to um, they they offered me an opportunity to come down in an operations role. I was 30 years old. I got a chance to move my family out of Buffalo, and I love Buffalo. But mm-hmm. I knew there would be more opportunities if I went somewhere else. So yeah. I, I, I'm from upstate New York. I, I get it. Right, so I you get it. You get, I mean, for, yeah. you know, for me, I mean, again, to digress for a moment, winters and unions are mm-hmm. two big obstacles that I had now. Different obstacles sure. down here, but but that was were two big obstacles as I was coming up through the ranks. So, jumped in with both feet. I'm I'm, I'm moving to Charlotte. Pick up. I have t- two children under five. Third one on the way. Why not? Right. Um, so that was my kind of my first leap of faith in my career was to was to make that move from from Buffalo to Charlotte. Now, looking back on it, when I did that, there were a lot of important questions I probably should have asked <laughs> my employer at the time that I didn't even know about. But I made the move and I get down here and I literally like hit the wall when I got here. What I mean by that mm-hmm. is that when they opened up the office here in 1998, um, they made the mistake really of not infusing any, any uh, uh, associates that could bring the culture of what made that company successful mm-hmm. to Charlotte. Okay. 
Yeah. They believe that, well, we're going to go there and we're going to figure out how they do it down there and adjust to that. And that was really, you know, was not the right path. Um, so I come in, this, this fast-talking Yankee, you're going to take over the world and um, just really, they had good people, but they weren't the right people working in this office. So, mm-hmm. but after a few months, I, I found my balance with them and with, with meeting people in the industry, but it, in, in Charlotte, but it still was, was not like it was previously. So one o'clock now, about, I've been here six months and a family-owned business, a father and three sons ran the company. The father was more of a chairman. The oldest son ran the company, but again, they were all involved. I get a call from the father, who's the chairman, he, and, and he's, he was a big personality. His name was Salvatore, but he went by Sonny. It's David, it's Sonny calling. <laughs> hey, Sonny, what's going on? He goes, we got great news. I said, what's up? He goes, we're moving you back to Buffalo. And there was this, this pregnant pause, yeah. and I'm like, Sonny, what are you talking about? And he's, he began to, ah, don't worry about it. We're going to call you back with details, but hang tight. We're bringing you back into the fold. So we hang up the phone, and I'm like, you know, blood drains from my face. I'm like, wait a minute. I, I, I literally been here six months. The brain damage of coming here. My third child had been born. I'm like, wow. um, what am I going to do? So a great lesson. If you ever really want to understand the health of a company, talk to the CFO. Mm-hmm. So I pick up the phone, and I called the CFO of that company, who was not a family member, and uh, I had explained to him the phone call I got from Sonny and, and the context of the conversation and what's going on. And he, he, you know, he had a pregnant pause and said, um, do you like it down there? I said, I think so. He goes, you should go find a job. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> hang up the phone. It was on a Friday, and I spent that weekend just kind of banging my head against the wall trying to figure out what, what is my next step here? What do I do? So. Um, I realized that I, I still was better here and, and it, as far as career growth and opportunities. And the, think, and the thought about going back to Buffalo at that point, again, nothing against the city or the people that I love dearly, but it just wasn't in the cards. Right. I needed to find a job. So I've been working with a recruiter to find people. I called that recruiter on the Monday morning and said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch the cards on you a little bit. And I explained my circumstances. He's like, give me a resume. So I did, and within a couple of days I had a, a at first interview with a large general contractor based here in Charlotte. Went in my first interview and they offered me a job that day. Wow. So um, it was pretty cool and, and obviously I took that job and, yeah. and had it part ways and it was the right thing because that family owned business, there was so much turmoil um, that I was unaware of and didn't ask the important questions that they closed their doors within a year of, wow. of that conversation with yeah. Sonny. So, Needless to say, I made the right choice. I've been going back to Buffalo to, 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 to nothing. Right, yeah, exactly. So um, I went to work for this large company here in town, and, and great, great company, um, and was able to grow very quickly and, and, and rose within the organization. was there about five years, and, and that really that's when I really began to establish the relationships, the Charlotte-based relationships with, 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 with clients, with, with architects, with, with subcontractors. And, um, and, my, and my style worked. You know, it worked with, with the people. It was... It was uh, um, you know, there were so many transplants, you know, yourself included. Um, it, it's, it was easy to, to, to kind of find things to connect on. Mm-hmm. Rose very quickly, as I said, and, and was involved in a very um, um, high-profile church expansion in Marsh Park's you know, section of Charlotte. And it was one of those pinnacle projects in my career as a, as a manager. And it was only one, you know, finished on time. Everybody got what they wanted. It was under budget. It was every, mm-hmm. you know, firing all cylinders. And through that and, and some of the people that were on the board of that, church um, my name became you know on, on their on their lips and there was this gentleman um, Charlie Hodges who um, Charlie is is my partner in Concord construction but let me give you a little bit of his background because it's really important okay. so Charlie was very high up um, uh, in McDevitt Street McDevitt Street back in the 80s and early 90s was the construction company mm-hmm. I mean y- y- if you were to pull most of the major construction companies, that are based here in Charlotte. There's about a t- two degrees of separation between the current leadership and McDevin Street. I mean, they were the proving ground. Charlie was part of that. And sad story though, because when um, talk about succession planning, um, McDevin Street was run at a time by Bob Street, uh, I think the son of the founder, and there was he was a sole shareholder, and there was no um, mm. succession plan in place. He was diagnosed with ALS mm. and was gone six months wow. later. Mm. It's a terrible, tragic story, and as a result of that, and then they ended up getting bought by um, Bovis Lend Lease. They became McDevitt Street Bovis, and then as time went by, they just went back to Bovis Lend Lease. And now, um, you know, that's the history of that. But through that, you know, there was a, a, a major um, a, a 
push of talent into the marketplace. And that spurred a lot of the construction companies that really became dominant into the 90s and 2000s here in Charlotte. Um, so anyways, Charlie was part of that migration. And in the, in the early 90s, uh, he actually formed, uh, he had some passion for some other things besides construction, got involved in some real commercial real estate and senior housing. And it, when he left McDevitt Street, he kind of started that as a, as a new core business, but always had a passion for construction. And it was a useful tool if you're going to be involved in real estate. Right, of course. So um, he actually uh, you know, formed Concord Construction in 1994 as really the first the first thought was it's going to be just a construction sign to 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 help with the things he was a part of hmm. and it kind of went that way for about a decade Isn't um, that funny how how side projects can just kind of linger and, and yeah. become more and more prevalent in your yeah. life even if that's not the idea it, exactly but but he's a, he's a true renaissance man so um and, and and just wickedly smart so anyways he saw this opportunity as the years went by to like boy you know as the charlotte Mar- market was beginning to kind of evolve and there were going to be some very clear um, large players and a bunch of small shops. There was a void in the mid-market, um, but it was also very clear, and it's still clear to this day, that local ownership means something mm-hmm. in it this does. town. It really, really does. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's a big, small town, really. It truly, truly is. Um, so, you know, now it's, it's, it's 2004, and he's got this 10-year-old company, and he wants to do something more with it. So um, he started asking around, and he also happened to be a member of the church that I was referring to earlier. So my name popped up. I guess to him a couple different times from a couple different people. So I get a cold call from this wonderful man, Charlie Hodges, in December 2004. And that was really kind of the phone call that kind of changed my life, if you will, from, from a, a professional perspective. Mm-hmm. So we met and, and I had a cup of coffee and he began to kind of lay out this, you know, this idea and what he had wanted, wanted to do. And, and I really wasn't sure kind of where I was in, in my mind. So we, I took the holidays to kind of think about it and we re- reconnected in January of 2005. And came back with them with the questions that I didn't ask, you know, back in 1999. Right. And um, I began to realize, boy, this is real. And I began to kind of understand Charlie a little bit, talking to some people about him and what a what an amazing individual he was. So it really took until about March of '05. I knew what I had. We structured, you know, the deal, and I I, I accepted in May and resigned in May of 2005 and, and took over the company July 1st, hmm. 2005. So 15 years. This this this. Uh, Fourth of July, and um, and that's how we came together. It was really, um, you know, it was interesting how I got there. And I look back now and go, wow. And that really was my second leap of faith. The first one was to come from Buffalo to sure. Charlotte. And the second mm-hmm. one was really to leave. I mean, I was leaving a very well established, um, um, very respected company as a vice president. Um, but I'm like, you know, it was the right time. I was going through some personal things that it was like, if, I, if I'm ever going to do this, this is my time to take that. Ended up being my second leap of faith, and clearly right. it was the right one. When you went into um, basically ownership of a company, think back to even when you were in college or even after, did you have that kind of in your DNA and your thought process of, man, I want to own something or I want to lead a company? Or was that ever part of the deal, or was this just serendipity? I think it was it was a little bit of both. I mean, definitely serendipity you know, played a big part in it. Um, you know, it, it's sometimes it's, it's it's better to be lucky than good, right? Sure. But I think you know, as as I grew professionally, you know, I, I began to realize that that I did have leadership skills because of my style and because of the way I treat people. I can get people to 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 follow me because they know that. I'm not going to lead them down a dark and lonely path, and I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. Some basic things actually are some of our core values of this company, and um, it, it became something where you know I I think I could do this because you know I I, I can garner the respect and garner the attention from the appropriate people, and as long as I stay true to who I am while I'm doing this, I think we can do something cool, hmm. you know. And then when you have a guy like like Charlie, who again is a true Renaissance man, and um, it's really, I mean, you know, I got my MBA in the School of Hard Knocks, and mm-hmm. Charlie was the lead professor, if you will. So um, it, it, was, um, it was something that I think just evolved. And, you know, I think as all professionals evolve, especially in construction, this is a, a can be a confrontational business. Mm-hmm. Um, I often say you shouldn't look for it because you can choose to fight all day, every day if you right. want to, but you can't fear it when it comes. Um, but again, I was able to kind of, you know, find my way and find my balance in that. And for me, it's like, 
once I got to a point in my career when I realized, you know, I know what I don't know, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's like that's an aha moment, and I think everybody's yeah. career. Because I think when you're a young emerging leader, I don't care what you're doing, there's that fear of like, you know, first you're not sure what to do, so you kind of sit back, and you get to that <laughs> point where you know enough to be dangerous, <laughs> and and you begin to kind of like, no, swords drawn, let's go ahead and get in and and get this, you know, figured out. But but at some point in time, and for me, it was it was really after I met Charlie, and after a few years of 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 learning to run a business, and then going through this thing they called the Great Recession. You guys remember that? Oh yeah, I think I've heard about it. Yeah. <laughs> Fond memories. Um, it yeah, really it, it comes up a couple times in my day. Yeah, job, I mean, isn't so. that amazing? It's it's been a decade, and here we still talk about it like it was yesterday. Because yeah. even though they're scabbed over, man, those wounds are, are say, deep it, and for wide. Sure. Yeah, it hurts yeah. people still. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want to touch on that a little bit because um, in 07 we were feeling a little bit of it in the commercial real estate world 08 it came roaring at us and then by 09 10 it was just wiping things out so having lived through that all three of us have um, how has that impacted this whole notion of planning uh, and your approach to business planning, knowing that there are things none of us had anything to do with the collapse of the you know the financial crisis. Right. We, last I checked, we weren't selling junk bonds or selling you know, not as far as you know, Gary. right? <laughs> so I, I'd love to have you expand on that. Sure. Um, well, it's interesting. I mean, I think there were some. There's been some fundamental shifts in a lot of markets and in, 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 in a lot of the way people approach business but in construction one of the, the biggest change that really that we still feel to this day um, and it's going to really you know come back to the labor side of things is that pre-recession when you hired a certain subcontractor an electrician a plumber a HVAC contract doesn't matter when you got that crew on your site those were all employees of that company um, mm -hmm. when when things occurred and really for, for, for construction you know, keep in mind when when the bottom began to fall out in late eight and and, and nine, mm -hmm. we were still all pretty busy working off backlog. Right. So we were one of the last industries to kind of mm. I think really go into it. So one of the last ones to really come out of it as well. So for us, ten into early eleven were the those were the dark dark mm -hmm. and lonely months. Um, but coming out of that, you know, it was it was a, it was a fundamental shift in the way our first tier some contractors approached their business. They maybe had their core people, but then all of a sudden this different mindset of secondary and sometimes tertiary sub-subcontractors came, came into play. So going through the recession and coming out of the recession, we've had to change our whole financial risk model in the way we approach um, you know, managing our projects because essentially most general contractors in today's world are construction managers. We manage the process and we subcontract out 85 to 90% of mm -hmm. the parts and pieces. but. To really to make sure, again, there's inherent risk to what we do. I mean, the safety and, and, and health and well-being of the people performing the work, that's that's priority one. The second level of risk in what we do is the financial side. We will get paid, we will pay our bills, but what happens to that money after that? So going through almost a, a, a retraining of our own process and then retraining of our subcontractors that we need to understand who is who really is on the job. So we kind of dig deep into into our subcontractors. We do a pretty rigorous internal underwriting, you know, for new subcontractors. And as a result, we've just had to become just more more diligent and, and go, you know, we use the team term deep, deep dive often, mm -hmm. diving deep on it and to really understand because, you know, we're as much, um, you know, financial advisor and an attorney and accountant as we are construction people. We have to kind of wear all those hats. Sure. Um, along with obviously being safe in our actions. So it's been a fundamental shift. And I mean, that's the biggest, you know, challenge I think facing our industry. And, and we're going to talk about the rock, you know, later yeah. on, I think, but, uh, you know, just the, trying to draw people into the industry as journey people, as workers, um, come on, it's, it's 35 degrees and raining. Come on, jump in the fray. Hey, it's 95 and, you know, degrees and, and, and 95% humidity. Come on, jump in. It's fun. Not, not an attractive thing. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that is, that is, uh, from, a, from a, from a, from an industry wide, that's, a, a, an ongoing struggle that will be here until we build robots. 
yeah. um, to, yeah. to, to replace the people. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And the overarching theme for our conversation is going to be a lot about business planning, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you were talking about risk management there. How, how does risk management come into your business planning? And is there anything different when you guys are considering risk management compared to prior to the, the recession? Like, has that evolved at all for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, as I indicated, I think it's, it's you know, we, we actually, you know, really, you always have to scrub upstream as much as you do downstream. Right. And what I mean by that, and again, it goes back to people, you know, we talk about, you know, planning for people within the organization and planning, you know, to hire the right people as subcontractors. We gotta be across the table from the right clients, the right customers. We have to. We and have what to, does that What does that look like for you now? How How are you conscious about that when you're you're planning when you're trying to find out that you're partnering with the right people and getting the right clients and things like that? What's, what's that process look like? Well, it's a couple of different things. I mean, we we actually have you know what we call the acid test. If we encounter a new client, and, you know, number one, there's kind of a two categories. This is it's just a a, a one off opportunistic project or are they going to be ongoing buyers of our services okay mm-hmm. we, we obviously want to lean towards the ongoing buyers of course. Um, don't walk away from opportunities but essentially you want you want to have repeat business right so um, in doing that I mean there's you know you can learn a lot just interacting with people early on in the equation um, and and really I mean we you know we, we check references and, and and go deep on their history as much as we do again with our subcontractors Again, it's it's for us. It you know, I'm fairly disciplined in the way we approach, you know, the the financial model of our business. Uh, we're not chasing revenues. We're not chasing. You know, we 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 run very lean. Great people, and we're able to operate at very low overhead. So, you know, to to keep the lights on, if you will, and break even is is kind of down here. So anything we do, we can be a little more selective, and that's really a key for planning too. Is I mean. What's your motivation? Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about starting with the why. Mm-hmm. From from a business planning, you know, why you're doing this? If you're, do you want to be the biggest game in town? Do you want to have a sign on every corner? Do you want to do X number of dollars per year? That's fine to have that. But that's not really a sustainable model. Um, again, because I've seen people who, who who don't stay true to who they are and go down some dark paths because motivation mm-hmm. led them there. Ego, ego yeah. is a is a is a fragile thing, right? We all have mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of um, you think about all the all the entities touching a, a construction project from from the very early planning to uh, you know all the zoning and the rezoning and the financing and, and the design and all these different things all the way through to an operating entity at the end. Um, there's a lot of people touching it, and there's a lot of lot of money at risk. There's a lot of people at risk. And there's a lot of lot of um, dare I say reputation, which I think mm-hmm. ties in well with ego. True. And if you if you if you get a little out of alignment with your thinking about what your what your core purpose, what your core values, what's the mission of this organization, and you just start chasing things because your ego gets in the way, that leads to bad things. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, the topic of this podcast is really around business planning, but I've heard you talk about core values purpose and that sort of thing which is really interesting because those are the kind of leaders that we're drawn to here at PGW and it's the kind of leader that you know Ben is as well and we're drawn to them and they seem to be drawn to us but I want to hear a little bit more so I want to take a little bit of a rabbit trail but it is true to who you guys are talk to me a little bit about your core values and, and the purpose of the company what makes you guys different because you're having a plan about that too, mm-hmm. right? So I'd like to hear a little bit about. Sure. Well, I mean, I think again, you know, it's funny. We 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 uh, we call them uh, some of them Charlieisms coming back from Charlie. Things he always <laughs> says, but some of them, I guess, are Davidisms too. But some of the basic things that we do. I mean, again, we, you know, first and foremost, when we when we talk as as a as, a, as an industry, we have to be safe because if mm-hmm. everybody can't go home at the end of the day. With all their parts attached, it's not worth doing. Period. So safety first, safety always. I mean, that's got to be at the because that is, that's again the most important thing. Everybody going home at the end of the day. Um, but some of the some of them are, are a little bit more basic, and you, you know, um, um, I think the words we use are deliver on promises made, but really do what you said you're going to do. Mm. And boy, oh boy, isn't that simple? But boy, oh boy, does that does that not happen a lot? Right. You know. Um, I hear the opposite 
so many times when people are talking about construction projects, especially in residential, you know, or whatever, where they have a tough time finding somebody that just will do what they said that they would do. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a basic it's a basic function. Yet it's um it's real easy to come up with an excuse why you can't. Um, you know, other things that we we again we we talk about pay the upfront price, and what we mean by that is really being prepared. Um, again, in every aspect of what we do. I mean, if we don't, you know, planning, I mean, we're a planning industry. We have to plan, plan, plan. And then yeah. when it rains, we have to replan. And when, <laughs> you know, something gets delayed mm-hmm. and permanent, we have to replan. So um, not paying the upfront price and just kind of, you know, trying to, to wing it, if you will, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So, again, we, we, we talk about all the time, if you say you're going to do something, you say you're going to call somebody, at two o'clock on a Wednesday, you better call them at two o'clock on a Wednesday, yeah. or, or or have really good excuse mm. why you can't. I mean, that's a simple version of it, but that mm-hmm. is that is so much of, yeah. of, of who we are. It seems simple, but so yeah. many people miss yeah. the mark on yeah. that, and, and it goes a long way. Like my father owns a, a painting company, and the biggest compliment he gets is you showed up when you said you were going to show up <laughs> yeah. and did what you said you were going to do. It, isn't isn't that crazy? So how fundamental it's gotten yeah. down to, but that is. Okay, so, so so why is that? I don't think people, and maybe I'm 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 gonna live in in, in in La La Land for a second, but most people I think fundamentally want to do the right thing. At least I mm. hope so, right? Yeah. Um, but we are in a a pretty robust market. I mean, we're very yeah. you know one of the, one of the things we're blessed to be is in Charlotte, North Carolina. Is that, you know, we're in this 85 corridor from Atlanta to Raleigh. Yep. And just the next 20 years and beyond are just going to be extraordinary. So a lot going on. So as a result of that, I think if again going back to the motivation comment and the ego comment, um, you know some people have a hard time saying no. Mm. You know one of our of our success models is is that we you know I say it often the only thing better than a yes is a fast no. Yeah. You know limbo from a planning ambiguity you can't, is terrible. Oh my god, you, you you can't plan for limbo. It just doesn't work. And as a result of that, again, it's like and because of the way we're structured. We, you know, if we go through that that client scrubbing contest, or if we go through the pricing exercise, and it just doesn't make sense, we we have the discipline to say no, thank you, as much as we say yes, please. Mm-hmm. And that's not a, an ego thing talking. That's just a, that's just that's just logic. That just mm-hmm. makes sense. Because uh, if you don't do that, you're going to get yourself upside down. And that's how. I mean, we came out of the recession. Um, again, the, you know, again, it lasted longer than anybody imagined, and maybe we had to do some some unfortunate layoffs, but. No legacy issues, and what I mean by that is that we didn't take on work just to keep the lights on. Mm. We chose to pay good people to stay at the house to keep them, you know, intact. Mm. But came out with no legacy issues, so we had no, you know, no receivables that were out there, no lawsuits, no liens being filed, and that helped us to kind of hit the ground running because a lot of companies just made choices out of desperation during those darkest times, and um, and hurt them. It hurt them, and and those legacy issues stay with you for for a right. long period of time. Yeah, one of the things, and, and you hit on it a little bit there, so I want us to be able to expand is the things that are outside of your control, right? Things mm-hmm. like the recession, things like hey, it's thirty five degrees and raining, or it's ninety five degrees and sunny, uh, that you were alluding to earlier. How do you deal with that in your business, both as a, a leader and from a business standpoint? How do you handle the things that you don't have control over? Okay, well, there's 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 some real basic answers, and I'm going to go a little bit deeper on some other stuff. Perfect. I mean, I think as it relates to the weather, I mean, okay, we all agree that, <laughs> that meteorology is not the most exact science, but they get pretty close. You know, I mean, you you know when it's going to rain. You know when the temperature is going to go down mm-hmm. or up. Um, you just got to plan for it. You got to understand. You got to know when you're when you're early on, even in the pre-construction phase, you know, if, somebody, if, if it's a 12-month project, but you're going to start shoveling the ground in January, Boy, that's going to be difficult. So you got to you got to be just aware of it, mm-hmm. and um, um, again, it and prepare. I mean, there's certain things you just can't control. So again, if but but no, if it's raining on Monday, you should be talking to your team about okay, it looks sunny on Saturday. Let's go ahead and get our plan in place now. Because yep. if you wait till Thursday or Friday to have that conversation, it's too late. They're they've already gotten you know right. making commitment somewhere else. Um, I, mean, I think you know I think you know with subcontractors, we talk about the rigorousness of. Of going deep and, and really understanding, you know, really what their commitments are. A lot of times, like I said, you know, anything better than a yes is a fast no. A lot of times, subcontractors um, can't always say no, and they take their resources and spread them very thin. And then, hmm. if you hit some obstacles like bad weather or some other kind of delay, now they're overcommitted and yeah. they're giving you half of what you need. 
and they're not doing what they said they're going to do. Right. And all of a sudden, they're bad people, right? No, they just made bad choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I think it's really understanding. And again, you know, we have we have three kind of kind of brand pillars that we've narrowed down. We have a custom made fat head on the office wall, mm-hmm. like twenty feet long, about eight feet tall, and it's three words: execution, communication, and people. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny how long it took us to get to those three words, <laughs> but there's an and there's an ambiguity to each one of those things if you stop and think about it. But mm-hmm. but, it, but that's a good thing because depending on the context of of what we're executing, whether we, you know there's the obvious things of building projects, but the execution of the accounting department that they're paying, you know that 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 the, that the payables are going out on time, the execution of payroll, the execution of of, of pre construction, making that phone call at two o'clock on a Wednesday. Um, the communication, it's funny, in today's world, with all the various tools available to us to communicate with, it's still amazing how things get, pe- people don't communicate effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I'd rather have you over communicate. I'd rather hear about it twice in two different ways than not hear about it at all. So there's really no excuse for poor communication. And then, again, people, 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 that's a line I'm stealing from last Wednesday's panel. It's true. I mean, mm-hmm. it's cliche, but a lesson you learn from your parents and you will teach your children, have taught your own children, who you surround yourself with is the most important choice you could you can make. Mm-hmm. And that applies even more so when you're a grown-up person and, mm-hmm. because that's really what it's about. I mean, we're, we're a, a, a customer-facing business. I mean, we're, you know, it's, it's people to people because um, there's people involved. I don't care what, what the business is. I don't care if it's accounting. I don't care if it's construction. You know, it's, it's people. And if you've got people in the mix next to you, across from you, however you want to say it, that, that are, are pulling in a different way or have a different set of standards, it's going gonna, it's gonna to create a different result. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, as a, as a company, all general contractors are facing the same weather. You know, we all, we're all facing the same inspectors. We're all facing the same code changes. We're all facing the same subcontractor pool. So how do we, how do we differentiate ourselves in that mm-hmm. regard? And one of the things that I preach often, you know, that, that's worked very well for me as a leader and us as a company is take away the obstacles and you take away the excuses. Mm. And what I mean by that in terms of a project, I put, you know, if, if, you know, when you bring that sub, when you bring that painter in, when your father's company comes in to paint, we better be ready for him. We better have right. stuff out of his way. The walls are, are, are dusted down. Yep. There's a place for them to park. Here's the porta potties. Go to work. Yeah. Mm. And they'll come in and they'll execute and they'll make more money because they, they had better production and they get on to the next one. If, you, if we bring a subcontractor in and, well, we're not ready here and you got to move that stuff out of the way and all oh, the parking is three blocks away, we've just built a bunch of excuses of why they can't perform. Right. And at that point, if you want to yell at somebody, I hand out mirrors. Here's a mirror. Look, look at that person and yell at that person. So take away the obstacles, you take away the excuses. Now, in terms of, of my role as a leader of the company, if you will, I mean, I, I have an obligation to our people that if, 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 if I'm fortunate enough for you to choose to come work for us, I owe you a clear, wide path. Right. You know, and, and that's the way, I, and it's funny, I was doing some reading and I think I've learned about myself that I'm a, uh, a bottom-up leader. You know, and and yeah, you had mentioned that before before podcast yeah. uh, before everything was rolling, and and I love that phrase, and it really all ha- it has completely to do with the leader being the person that's serving, right? So I want you to dive deeper on that. Sure, explain sure. to the listeners exactly what you mean by that philosophy. Okay. Well, you know, it's funny. You know, as you get older, you look back and you and you, and you learn a lot about yourself. You know, the way I'm wired is, is you know, throughout my life, you know, whether I was when I was younger and as I got older and when I started my family, you know, I have learned that if everybody around me is, is, is in a good place, I've taken care of their needs and they're good, I'm good. Mm. <laughs> you know, and it's just, and it's not about, I mean, it's, it's, it's I still have my needs and, and my wants too, but at the end of the day, my, my primary wiring is take care of everybody else and when they're good. And they're not yelling at me. I, I'm, I'm good, right? Um, so, so put that in terms of, of, of bottom-up leadership. And what I mean by that is really just think about a, a traditional organizational chart. Think about that pyramid and kind of yeah. flip it over. You know, because at, at the end of the day, and we've actually gone to that kind of a graphic layout in our pre, our proposals. Because, you, you know, okay, if I'm at the, if it, you know, in a traditional sense, if I'm at the top and you've worked at middle managers and you've got the project team, if you flip it over, the project team, the superintendent, the project manager, they're touching the client more than mm-hmm. anybody else. Yeah. That's who the interaction is going to be mm-hmm. with. 
I, at the end of the day, if it, if it all flows down to me, then I'll, I'll step in. But boy, boy, we've done something wrong in between. And 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 the best description I read that is when you when you're a bottom up leader, your job, my job, is to bring out the best in others, push people to, you know, be outside of their comfort zone, ask the important questions, get them thinking in a critical way, versus just the, that transactional shoot from the hip kind of thing, that reactive mm-hmm. mode. Um, and it's it's really been, and for me again, that's one of those aha moments. And and you know after I. I learned what I didn't know, and I began to kind of, you know, kind of grow that way. It began to be like, man, this is this this works. This works. It's not about any one person. No, right. no company, unless you're just a, a solo practitioner doing something. I guess no company of any size rises and falls on one person. And if it does, there's something wrong. Right. You yeah. can't have that one keystone in, no. in the business, or, no. or it's bound for failure. No. And and. Um, you know, and that kind of plays into the whole succession planning too, because again, if you do have that one key person, that one key person goes away for whatever reason, boy, oh boy, yeah, you know, it's going to be a dark and lonely place, right? right, right. Um, so, 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 talking about succession planning, there are mm-hmm. two things. One, I want to hear a little bit more, like, like how you guys are approaching. You can go in as little detail and you know anonymity as you want. That's fine, but I'd love to know. A little bit like some of the steps because I hear business owners always when if whenever that topic is brought up they know yeah I got to do something about it what are you doing about it? Eh, I haven't done much about it so that that's one thing but then the other thing and this is it's it's tied in the the commonality here is people how do you uh, approach planning for bringing the right people into your company because there are a lot of people that's like you fog a, a mirror especially in a tight work environment like this you can you got the job but I would love to know your approach for planning to find the right people a great which question. then does ties into what's who are the right people to run this business if we choose not to sell it on the open market right. or whatever. I'd right. like to know your thoughts. Okay. Well, it, you know, it's it you know, one of the books I read a long time ago, but it's still really relevant is Jim Collins Good to Great. You know, yeah, and the aspect of, of getting the right people on the bus, get them in the right seats and by by all means get the wrong people off right. the bus. Um, sounds sounds simple, but it's really a complex and, process. And people often forget that getting the right people in the right seats. That's right. Right. Everybody focuses on getting the right people, but if you don't have them doing the right things, then the, what good is it having them on the bus in the first place? C- correct. So that's a great point that you brought that up. Correct. So you know, in in terms of of identifying those people, um, again, I think there's you know there's we'll drop back a second on succession planning for a company. So. We're kind of in the throes of it now. I mean, Charlie started the company 25 plus years ago. I've been here 15 years, going on 15 years. When I came in the door, Charlie was 54 and I was 36. Well, now do the math, right? right. He's 68 <laughs> and I'm, I'm 51. So the time is now to be thinking about that, that, that next generational growth. And, and there's different ways. I mean, when you're thinking about succession planning, one of the things I guess I, I've, I've adopted is you don't want to... Th- approach it with absolutes and what I mean by mm-hmm. that you're not gonna we well we always did this and we're never gonna do that if you're doing that you're really narrowing your spectrum of thought um, again there, yeah there's always gonna be those outliers you're not, that, that are crazy but in the scheme of things you want to keep your your options open right okay yeah so so as you approach it I mean there's 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 I guess there's there's three well I guess maybe four things you can do you could do nothing mm-hmm. you know and um, and then when the time comes, if God forbid something happens to the owner, or if you're just done, you close up shop and you move on, right? Okay, it happens, but that's not really the point, I think, right? Yeah. So then you get into like you can go the other way and look at the M&A world, mergers and acquisitions, and you can mm-hmm. say, okay, well, there's kind of two ways you can we can look to acquire somebody, you know, or merge with somebody, um, or we could package ourselves up and look to be acquired by others. Um, you know, the interesting thing about that, when you step and think about it, and I've talked to some people who have been through that in different different businesses and, and in different ways, and you can have, if you have two entities and each have cultures that are similar, they're never going to be exact. When you put those together, it's going to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It might be better, mm-hmm. hopefully not worse, mm-hmm. but I'll guarantee you it's going to be different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have to keep eyes wide open. If that's something going through your mind, again, doesn't mean it's 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 not a good path or it's a bad path yeah. or it's a great path. 
I don't know, but it's going to be different. Yeah, mm-hmm. G- Gary's got that experience. And yeah, a few of them. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so, so on the last option is intentional organic growth, right? And, and I think that's what most businesses like ours, I think, you know, we all start there. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's, here's what I've learned. I was a really, really good project manager. But when I came in the door in 2005, I, you know, again, I had been working in the business mm-hmm. in that different mindset. Now I'm having to work on the business yeah. mm-hmm. and that subtle change from in to skill. on, totally different. So yeah. my business acumen, if you will, really evolved over time. I didn't know a lot of what I know today. Again, mm-hmm. I, I figured out what I didn't know and I sought higher counsel to, um, to, to understand it better. Um, but that's really the key is you really got to step back and you have to take the time and the effort to work on the business and really understand where you want to go. I mean, because the things I talked about, the absolutes, I mean, you know, 2005, if, if that guy walked in the door and said, you know, what are you never going to do? <laughs> We're never going to build a high rise. Well, guess what? We're doing a 13 story building like two blocks from here. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, so, so never say never, right? Um, so, so the key really is, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of people that are really good at working in the business and it's really... Uh, you know that that critical thinking I mentioned earlier. I mean, part of part of some of the things that I do with our team is 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 supposed to be you come in with a problem and I give you the answer. You come in with a problem and I ask you a question, mm-hmm. and kind of let you go. And again, for me, it's like setting up guardrails. I, you know, I don't want them have them too close because mm-hmm. you're not going to grow. I don't want them too wide. I don't want you off in the ditch. Right. But but I got to give you enough latitude where it's okay. The best lessons I learned were the mistakes that I made, and mm-hmm. I made a ton of them. Um, so I think, you know, part of it is just the, uh, you have to be wired for it. I think when it comes to ownership, I think a lot of people understand the term equity, and everybody likes equity, that's, right. that's the money part of it. Yeah. And, and, but ownership and equity are two very different things. Mm-hmm. Equity is part of ownership, but I promise you it's not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, there were times, give me, give me an example what I'm talking about, difference between ownership and equity. During the recession, we, as the, as the shareholders of the company, made a conscious decision to take a cut to keep people in place. Mm-hmm. Okay, a lot of companies did that, and that's, that was the right thing to do. If, if I ask you, you know, would you be willing to take a pay cut, Ben, to keep Gary employed, doesn't mean you're a bad person if you don't want to, right. it just maybe maybe you're not wired, because yeah. it's not always the good things. I mean, it's really, mm-hmm. the measure of a man is, is how does that person behave when things aren't going well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I promise you, things are, are not gonna go well at some point in time. Right. So, so tr- trying to look for those those characteristics in people that are willing to, that at least have an understanding for it. Again, it I understood it, but it took me a while to really appreciate it and be willing to, because you know one of the keys to leadership is you go up, you have to give up. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to that inverted pyramid we were talking about. Yeah. That, that that you know, that's hard for a lot of people. You know, if you want if you're if you want to control everything, then God bless you. That's great, but it's not going to be a long term strategy. Um, so so looking for those qualities, making you know, seeing the spark in people for that business acumen, and then giving them the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So again, it's you know, if if I step off the curb today and 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 I'm gone tomorrow. Yeah, there's a buy sell and there's a life insurance policy, and that's the, but that doesn't really solve the long term. So right. we're active in it right now because the time is now when there's still enough life in front of me, you know, and runway for me to kind of be running down to say, come on, let's go. And it doesn't mean we want it; might be four people. We um, often say that it's a five year journey if you're really going to do it right yeah. on a succession plan, uh, so that you do have options and you're not limited to a this way or that way Correct. you know one thing that I want to like dovetail in real quickly is um, I've been through a lot of acquisitions and made some myself and and uh, I don't believe that there's ever really anything truly as a merger because somebody is surviving you know typically right. but the one thing that I have seen that um, very few companies do and it's always the first thing that rears its ugly head and that is cultural compatibility assessment on the front end as part of the due diligence. Man, if you can do that and you do that well, we started doing that when I was in this private equity firm and uh, because we were acquiring companies as part of our holding company. Mm -hmm. And because of the kind of clientele we served, we had to be extremely careful. We had, you know, owners of 
major league baseball teams, et cetera, that were in this thing, high value targets, if you will. So you had to be really careful. So we were very diligent on the front end planning to make sure, and then we would bring the two ownership teams together, the leadership teams, we would go through core values, look at those kind of things, what are you gonna hire and fire based on? We would look at the actual org chart, who's gonna do what on this leadership team, and a 100 day plan, and then we did a thumbs up, thumbs down at the end of a day and a half plan planning session. We we walked away from some what looked like very lucrative deals that the CEO really wanted, and we said no, and it was a good thing. And then some of the best acquisitions that we ever made, we went through that process, and we we had already called out the elephants in the room mm-hmm. because a lot of times it's kind of like the deal guys will go, well, we'll figure it out, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, they, they just want to get it done. Right. They yeah. want to get the deal done, but the ugliness always rears its head on like, well, hey, I thought I was supposed to have that job. Ambiguity, hmm. lack of communication. But if you can set it tight at the front end of, among the management team, then it can trickle down. Otherwise, I yeah. think you got a big hairball. Yeah. Well, we, ju- we just saw that with uh, BB&T and SunTrust becoming hmm. truest. That was, that was an arduous process, and they did a lot of stuff that you just hit on, and it that doesn't happen, you're just setting yourself up for yeah. failure. Uh, you know, a term we use often in the way we run our business is transparency. Um, it's a, you know, that's really part of the communication process. I mean, it's, I would imagine, again, I've never been through it, but I would imagine that, you know, that if, if, if you're being acquired or whatever, if you're the smaller piece of the bigger future pie, I mean, there's a lot of fear associated with that. Absolutely. You know? and, and especially with the people that maybe, you know, then they're working day in, day out, and all of a sudden, well, you know, who's my boss? And, and, and how do I take my PTO? And what about my benefits? And what does it all mean? So, so having that all truly vetted and thought through, and, and, and I'm, I guarantee you, I could spend probably a whole day thinking about it and probably have as many questions that I haven't thought of that, that would be asked. Right. That's one thing that always amazes me is, is like you, you'll, something is, you know, less, less, less obtrusive as, as a merger, if you will, you know, just changing like, you know, benefits from, you know, this company to that company or adding this thing and like you think through it, you write the description up, you share it. It's simple. And like five questions will come at you that like you never thought of. Mm-hmm. I'm like, holy cow, okay, great mm-hmm. question. We don't know, but we'll get back to you kind of thing. So, um, again, so those are all, all great lessons learned. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a, to your point, Gary, it's not a process that happens overnight. It takes time. And the, the, the challenge, and, and again, we're, even though maybe we're, I don't know, based on numbers, maybe we're a medium-sized company, but we're still a small company. We're a pretty flat structure is that you know being disciplined and, and, and empowering people to keep things going to take the time to work on the business and that's just it's um we've been doing it now for about a year plus and and we've 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 cleared a lot of the debris a lot of the obstacles out of the way so the paths from so like okay well we still got a lot of run we got to mm-hmm. start start moving a little quicker here on some of these things but you know that you know that person or those people may exist in the company right now. I hope, I think to some degree they do. There's probably some people that don't exist in the company now that might be part of the solution, you know, for the next chapter. But I'm excited because we're not, you know, again, we're, 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 we're keeping that spectrum wide. We're not having those absolutes that we're always or, or never. Yeah. Um, but it's, 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 um, it's something that you cannot start soon enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the themes you've hit on throughout this entire conversation has been people, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of your three core words, things like that. Um, I want to pivot a little bit and talk about rock because I think it gets to the heart of that, especially in your industry. So I'd love for you to explain to the listeners what it is and, and exactly what you're doing with it. And then we can kind of go from sure. there. Sure. Well, back to serendipity for a second, because I, I was in a, um, a political fundraiser lunch, which I don't usually go to. I actually went I actually took Charlie's spot. He couldn't make it. He goes, "Hey, go to this luncheon," and it was a lunch, and really, it was it was for um, I forget who it was for. But anyways, the, the the group in the room was a bunch of real estate people, and the candidate wanted to understand what are the obstacles they're facing to get deals done and incentives and stuff like that. Well, the conversation quickly turned to cost of construction. Mm-hmm. Somebody realized I was the only construction guy in the room. And there's like thirty people at this <laughs> luncheon, so I get called upon. 
And I, of course, I start talking. And once I start, I'm hard to stop talking. So I talked for like 20 minutes about the obstacles we were facing and whatnot. And somebody shouted out, hey, you should call Darren Ash. And he's, he's got this thing called The Rock. So I write it down and I go back and I go on the, the faithful tool of LinkedIn and I type in Darren mm-hmm. Ash. And, and Darren is a really interesting guy. I mean, you talk about a person who, who found his next chapter, um, wickedly successful in business. And, and once he decided to kind of walk away from it and kind of cash out, he has done nothing but philanthropy and, and, and give back. So what The Rock Charlotte is, and Rock stands for, it's spelled ROC, Rebuilding Opportunities in Construction. And really what it is, it's, um, it's, a, it's the first real collaboration that I've seen between Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools, uh, mm. Central Piedmont Community College, and Goodwill Industries. And each on their own have tried different things. There's some different trade com- components to certain schools and CMS. CPCC has the Construction Institute, and they teach things over on the Harper campus. So, uh, the Goodwill Industries component, I mean, they've been working with adults looking for kind of second careers and adult training yeah. and stuff like that. They've been operating kind of in vacuums with one another. And um, what, what this essentially is, is that Darren, because he's just, a, again, another wickedly smart person, you can also trend. I surround myself with people a lot smarter than me. So Well, that goes back to the self-awareness it, and, and the ego, right? It, if you don't let that get it, in the way. Exactly. No, I'm, I'm self-aware, my man. I, uh, yeah, it's, it, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, we need a bigger room. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, but, but back to Darren. So I reached out to him. I just want to understand it. So he actually came and met with me. And we, we kind of went one-on-one, and he explained. And, and really what it is, at its core, is that, and it's still in its beta stage, this is year two. Okay. And so we have three high schools involved with the hope to grow it to all the high schools in CMS. But what it is, is that there's a facility that was owned by Goodwill that, that was really in, in, in a poor state. Darren raised some money and got it rehabbed and built these labs, a carpentry lab, an electrical lab, an HVAC lab, hmm. along with some classrooms that have latest in technology for building information modeling or BIM. Um, just all these things, uh, and, and it was really going to benefit the night program for the adults, but he had another vision in mind. So um, he set up with CMS with, with these first few, few beta schools that there's going to be some kids that aren't necessarily going to be able to or want to go to a four-year school, yeah. right? This gives them a great option. And what it does is it exposes them to, to training both with technology and hands-on the, the trades. And it's being taught in this building that's owned by Goodwill Industries. It's being supervised by the teachers from CPCC who teach at the college level. And what it is, these kids in their junior year, and there was there was 20 kids last year who are now as juniors who are now seniors. I believe there's about 30 in this junior class, and it's scalable up to 120 kids uh, based on the facility size. Yeah. And the goal is to during their junior year, these kids are exposed to. The, all three trades, if you will, and they kind of pick which way they want to lean. There's a there's a summer internship program where the, the, the private sector guys like us step up, and we had an amazing intern that we love. We're going to bring him back, 17-year-old kid that just set the world on fire, came to work for us for the summer last year. And when they go back in their senior year, they, they pick which path, and they also then add on the technology piece, and they expose that. And when these kids graduate in the spring of next year, uh, as seniors in high school, not only will they have a, a high school diploma, they're going to have one year's full credit from CPCC towards an associate's degree. Wow. Now, one step further, um, there's a grant in place that if these kids want to do that, they can go for one more year tuition-free at CPCC, wow. graduate after a year with a two-year associate's degree yep. with some skills and go right into the workforce. That's amazing. Wow. How cool is that? Yeah. How cool is that? So it was about a year plus ago, you know, when that when, when that conversation happened um, at that luncheon when I heard about Darren and I met Darren and I kind of went deep on it. And I also had some kind of philanthropic strings kind of tugging at me a little bit. I mean, we all kind of get involved and write checks for golf tournaments and go to fundraiser dinners, but man, we weren't, we weren't going deep and I want to go deep on, let's find one thing that can, 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 yeah. can, can ring a, a loud bell for us and let's go deep on it. Cool. And then rock fell in my lap. I, I'd imagine that also goes back to one of the things that drew you to construction in the first place of tangible, right? If mm-hmm. you're, if you go to a dinner or you write a check somewhere, like, yeah, you're being philanthropic, but it's not as tangible as, as being a part of something like rock. No, absolutely not. And and in really once you know once we had that you know we had that that intern last summer, and um, 
I, you know, when Darren came and witnessed and, and our, our entire group, we had him on one particular project, but that entire team just embraced this kid and just kid was just amazing. Darren's like, he goes, hey, would you consider being on my board? I'm like, in a heartbeat, are yeah. you kidding me? Because this is something that is, is real. And if we can, even if we get 20 people coming in the industry, that's 20 more than we had yesterday. Right. You know, and, and the world is the world is changing. Well, world and you're giving changing. them more opportunities, right? Because yeah. it takes people like you and people like Darren to go against the typical of, hey, you graduate high school, you've got to go get a four-year degree. Well, what you're doing is you're providing these people with alternative options and letting them figure out what path fits them best. And they have a two-year degree after one year and zero debt. Which is amazing. That's totally anything but typical. It is. But I really love this. I mean, first of all, if you haven't uh, gotten from your heartbeat yet in this podcast of you are a others focused guy and you know there's definitely humility that's drawn that draws me to you that's for sure but this it's it's addressing a huge issue in Charlotte North Carolina but in a lot of places and it's called upward mobility mm-hmm. you know and to your point Ben not everybody is cut out for a four year degree or just because you have it doesn't mean that that's what gives you joy anyway yeah. Yeah. which is okay right, right. And, and i think people need to understand that it's not just because society at one point had said, hey, this is the path you're supposed to take, that's that's yeah. not the case. And it's okay if that's not your mold, if that's not what fits you. I like your intentionality on also saying, you know, I've heard you say going deep a number of times mm-hmm. and, and having focus on one thing, which is really good impact, is another thing. So, you know, it's clear you're another ripple maker in the city, which is what I like. And, and you're fostering that among other people. Internships are a huge, uh, huge benefit to everybody involved. I, I'm an advocate of it. That was my first job, internship right out of college, or actually while I was in college. But we, we love hiring that. We do the same thing here. And we don't hire from outside in the industry. <clears throat> we hire through our internship program, which is very much by design, on purpose, mm-hmm. kind of like what we we're talking about a little bit here today, which is just about business planning. You you cannot just throw it to the wind and say it'll all work out. You have to have some intentionality yep. in all of this. Yep. Yeah, and, and tying in the culture, what you were talking about earlier, um, the culture of the business that you're being an intern for, right? These kids, they get to experience that before they're mm-hmm. committing to any type of job. And from the employer aspect, you get to see how they fit in your culture. So, exactly. so I think that's pretty powerful as well. And it's funny, the you know, what, what's interesting is I think, you know, it's, you know, what's you know, one of the obstacles is I talked to Darren about, you know, kind of really selling this and growing this. Some of the obstacles still, it's it's funny, the, the, the kids recognize that, hey, my family can't afford this or my grades aren't exactly where they need to be. Sometimes it's the parents we have to re-educate that they do have this vision and well, the kid's going to figure it out and they're going to apply and they'll just take out loans. Man, oh, man. Um, so, so some of it is, is almost a re-education of, of, of the parents as much as the kids to say, there's other options. Yep. There's other options. So it's, um, it's cool. Uh, I'm excited about it. Again, it's, I mean, I've, I've, I've told Darren, I said, Darren, I see the man. We can have the Rock Atlanta and the Rock Buffalo and the Rock. We're going to go. Because everywhere, everywhere you think about it, everybody has, you know, there's high schools everywhere with kids that maybe, you know, like the trades or aren't geared for, for school. Um, there's going to be a community college or some kind of technical or trade aspect to it. And, and, and Goodwill's everywhere. So it is a, a scalable model. But yeah. Darren's like, Slow your roll. Be, let's get through year Part of two. Your thinking yeah, big. Well, yeah. whatever. It's it's it's. I just think I, when I when I get excited about something, I sometimes got to uh, yeah take it down a notch. I'm um, glad you came, and this is your first pod- podcast because I wouldn't know have known anything about the rock, and I am super excited about that because I think it hits so many areas of need, and I think it also demonstrates great business practice, which is. You know, define uh, what you're looking for in people. Give them, I love trial bases, you know, like where everybody can kind of try before we buy and make sure it's a good fit because we're, we're seeing that from the millennial mark, mindset anyway. They, you know, they're a little bit more skeptical. They went through, they saw their parents go through the, the downturn, sure. right? And so I think that kind of feeds into that. But um, I love the fact that 
you know, even your path to Charlotte and your willingness to say, man, I, I should have learned, I should have asked some other things, that's part of growth. It really right. is. It really is. So we, even though you're a planner, you still miss some things in early on, and we're all learning. Yeah. Right? Well, it's it's some of those things that at the time I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know the questions to ask. And again, it's you know I have this line that I I say often. It's a newer line for me, but again, I didn't write it. I stole it from somebody else. But change is inevitable, but but growth is intentional. You know, you have to be deliberate yeah. if you want to. Be, I don't care what the growth means to you. As, a, as an individual, as a business, as, as, a, as, a, as a philanthropist, as, you know, whatever the case may be, you have to be deliberate. Because, yeah, because you can just go ahead and say, yeah, I'm phoning in, I'm writing a check, I'm going to golf in, the, in this tournament next week. By the way, I'm a bad golfer, so I don't do that very often. But, um, but I think it, it's, it's an intentional mindset. You, mm-hmm. have to, you have to know why you're doing it, you know. Um, you know Simon Sinek um, does a great his book start with the why right mm-hmm. and I've actually I haven't read the book but I've seen the TED talk and I love the the, the, the rings the golden circles golden circles yeah. you know and it starts at the outside three rings the outside is the what the middle ring is the how and the inside is the why yep. and everybody starts I mean you, you can ask anybody in, in my company what do we do well, we're a construction company this is what we do how do we do it well we use this software and we use these subs and we use this pay, you know, paperwork why are we doing it, man? Mm. Why are we here? You know, and and it goes back to you know to, to kind of that mindset of of let's do it a little bit differently. Let's let's not be focused just on growth, the sake of growth as it relates to numbers. Let's stay true to our core values. Let's let's be um, a little bit different. So when the people come in the door, you know it, that they feel like, man, this is this got a different vibe to it. And when they turn to face the same obstacles everybody else in the market is, like I shared earlier. Um, they know they got some support, right? Um, but yeah. you know, again, we are still a business, and, and you're you know you need to operate at a certain level of discipline. But if it's the right people, that's a that's a that's a no brainer. Yeah. So yeah. let's Love let's it. not be typical. Amen. 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 Well said. <laughs> so we could talk for hours, but we'll. Uh, I think that's a perfect place for us to end on for today. So where can people find you if they want to connect with you if they want to check out concord uh where should they be going for that i'll be at the bar later i'm kidding um (laughs) linkedin is probably i'm not a huge social media guy on a personal level but i i I do like linkedin so i'm there uh the rock charlotte roc charlotte.org check that out please um yeah we have a website um but um again if you if you hit me on linkedin i'm pretty good about hitting you back and and yeah it's you know i i I often link in with people that have nothing to do with what I do, um, but it's just if they're if they, if they got a cool background and something a little different, um, it's it's uh, you know it's a great way to meet people, and I love it too because I get to if, if you've not met somebody you can see their picture right. when you go to meet them for coffee for that first time. I'm like I know who you are versus like are you are you Bob are you Bob somebody here's Bob it is Bob in the building. It's planning. It, it's it. It's it. But uh, no, this has been fun. As, as Gary mentioned, this is my first time. Um, doing something like this and I was excited this morning I woke up this morning like a, at like 5 a.m. like a kid in a candy <laughs> store um, you know getting ready for this because again it's 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 not you know you're not you're not performing you're not uh, going live right um, yeah you don't have a camera in your face with makeup on uh, but it's <laughs> no it's, makeup no please no makeup it's, uh, only on weekends right um, but it's it's a way to kind of kind of be yourself and and share and I think what you guys are doing is extraordinary so I thank you for the opportunity yeah. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, thanks for sharing. All right, we appreciate guys. you coming on. Thank you.